Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, we're uh, in the middle of a bizarre passage. This is uh, the stuff of, of um, well, it's, it's the plot to half the Marvel and DC comics, you know. It's the stuff you read about in, in Greek mythology, Roman mythology. And so we're going to see the reality of what took place uh, before the flood of Noah. Um, we're going we're gonna to pray, and then we're going to get to work. We, um, we want the Lord to take this time and use it to build us up in our faith. So let's, uh, let's, let's call on the Lord and ask him to do that. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name and confess that, Lord, we need you. God, without you, um, you know we're, we'll be wasting our time. The, the, the distinct reality exists that we can have a form of godliness and we can go through all of the motions and, and we can even say right words, but Lord, we want to live in the reality of who you are over our lives, what your word says, the promises of your word over our lives. God, we want to appropriate that right now for your glory. And so God, uh, help us to, in the power of your spirit, engage with your truth. And uh, Lord, be built up. We want to be built up in our, in our inner man. We want to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would take the weakness of my flesh, my stumbling lips, and, and uh, you know how my, my, my mind gets ahead of my mouth, and Lord, would you just set all of that aside, and God, let your word have its way with our hearts. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you, to give you praise, you're worthy. Thank you for the ability to give. Uh, you call us to essentially buy into the family business. Thank you for that. Thank you for the, the way that you've designed us, that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And Lord, our, our heart is on the ministry. Uh, the, your kingdom, you've, you've placed that burden upon our hearts. And so God, would you bless the tithes, the offerings, the sacrifices that, that stewards in this local church ministry make to see your kingdom furthered for your glory. And then God, bless us as we make those investments and decisions have to be made. And, and so many leaders in many different areas have, have this responsibility. Give us wisdom from on high. Lord, let it all be to your glory, we pray today in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Genesis chapter six, verse one, we're, we're gonna just quickly review. What we're seeing here in Genesis 6-1 is a celestial human uh, crossbreeding program. <laughs> it's a celestial human uh, hybridization and, and what, what results from this is evil chaos. Okay, it came to pass when the men, right, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. 
The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And so these sons of God, which we saw, we've got a short list of, of beings that we can pick from. Adam, Luke chapter 3:38, is the son of God at creation. He loses access to that relationship after his rebellion and sin in Genesis chapter three. But the Bible specifically called Adam a son of God. Why, he is a direct creation of God himself. We saw that we're called the sons of God, why? Because when we get saved, the Bible says we're born again. We're new creatures in Christ, we're new creations in him. And this is why we are called and we're called to be sons of God. Why, because we're a direct creation of God himself. Well there's one other class of beings as you study your Bible. There is a celestial host, the angelic host. These are called sons of God. So those are your three to pick from. Well these sons of God, whoever they are, uh, they mingle themselves with the seed of men, these, these, these angelic, these celestial beings, and they marry the daughters of men. Okay, so we, we talked about why it can't be the godly line of Seth marrying the ungodly line of, uh, of Cain. They're all children of Adam. They're all human. Whenever you mate a human with a human, you get a, you get a human. And uh, so, so, and then why is it only godly, godly sons of Seth marrying ungodly daughters of Cain? Like, it, like the logic chain breaks down very quickly, okay? So we're, we're, we're obviously talking about something supernatural taking place here. These celestial beings, these angelic beings, these watchers, they are, they are taking wives and they're having hybridized, they're having hybrid children. Uh, these are the mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. So a little baby was born, what are we gonna name him? Well, let's, let's name him Percy Jackson. Let's name him Little Hercules, you know? Okay, so that's, that's uh, you read about this in your introduction to Western civilization in fourth grade. When you, study, when you study Greek mythology, right? These are the Prometheans who come and they bring forbidden knowledge to man and look at the result of what takes place. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it repented, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So even the animal kingdom is corrupted. But look at verse eight, but, Mo but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So this morning I want us to just take a step back and I want us to look at the goal of this satanic invasion. These, you know, what's the goal of these marriages from hell? Well, okay, so just keep a finger here in Genesis chapter three, go back to, or chapter six, go back to chapter three, and we have to understand that, you know, Satan moves, God moves, and then Satan counter moves, and so God moves again, and then Satan counter punches. Okay, so there's a, there's a back and forth taking place here, and this is, this is really God's response to what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know, it's Adam and Eve are in a place of favor, right? They're created by God, they're made by God, and they're functioning in the Garden of Eden, and everything's going the way that it's supposed to. Adam was told, 
to, to tend the garden, right? He has, a, he has a cultivating responsibility in the Garden of Eden, but he's also told to put on a guard, to, to be on watch. He's to keep it. He is to guard it. Why is that? Well, that old serpent, the devil, he's got an agenda. There's a snake in that garden, and, and so he'd better watch out. And so, so Satan comes to Eve, and he appeals to her ration. Her, her, her rational logic, right? He appeals to her decision-making powers and, and um, you know, the whole, the whole proposal is you can be like God without God. You can show yourself that you are God. It's the, it's the spirit of antichrist that's being offered, right? And, and it seems reasonable and she takes it. Adam didn't fall for that. What he fell for was the fact that he's losing his wife in rebellion against God, so he joins her in that rebellion. Adam, it's in Adam that we're all dead. <laughs> Adam is the one that holds the, the responsibility for the damage to humanity. And so God gives a prophecy. Everything's messed up. The whole, the whole game plan is corrupted through sin. And so in Genesis 3.14, God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Um, just look at what man-made false religion does. It's all done under the guidance of the wrong spirits, <laughs> and women suffer. Anytime the wicked rule, the wicked reign, women and children suffer. Uh, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. She's gonna give birth to a skull crusher and thou shalt bruise his heel. You will, you will damage him, but he will destroy you. So what do you see happening? That's the promise. Her seed will destroy you. So what's Satan's response gonna be? How's he going to counterattack in light of that prophecy? Well, if her seed is gonna destroy me, that means I need to what? I need to destroy her seed. I need to corrupt, so that the method is corruption. Satan's device in this dispensation is one of corruption. That what, that's what needs to go in your notes. That's exactly what's happening here in Genesis chapter six. He's working to corrupt the seed of the woman. He attacks the seed of the woman. He wants to corrupt her line and thereby void the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. Do you see that? That's what we're watching happen in the Genesis account. He wants to void out that prophecy. And that's what you see. There's a corruption in the, in the line of Adam in Genesis chapter six. Once the promised seed gets narrowed, narrowed down to the family of Abraham, what happens? Well. Satan makes sure that Abraham faces a famine. That famine forces him to Egypt in Genesis chapter 12 where Pharaoh wants Abraham's wife for himself and, and then you see it repeat again in Genesis 20 with Abimelech. And then the family, you know, God brings the family through all of that. The family starts thriving but by Genesis 15 there's a famine, isn't there? And that places them in Egypt and the bondage of Egypt then is over the, the family, over the line of the promised seed and, and uh, immediately the next thing you see is Egypt working to destroy the seed of the woman. In Exodus chapter one, you've got a complete goal of destroying the male line 
of the nation of Israel. When, uh, the, when, when it got so bad and the people started praying, when corporate prayer got real, God moved in response to the prayer of his people and he's delivering them out of the nation and the bondage of Egypt. Pharaoh is pursuing and he's got blood in his eyes and, and he means death and destruction and, and you see that in Exodus chapter 14. Genesis six says that there were giants, right? It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the, that the sons of God take these daughters, they, they take all uh, uh, wives which they choose and uh, the offspring of that union is giants. Verse four, there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. So not just in the days, those days of Genesis chapter six, but also after that. And so whenever the, you know, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, come into the promised land, lo and behold, there are giants. Canaan is filled with giants while Israel is away in Egypt. Numbers 13, 32 says they brought up these 12 spies, the 10 bring up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. If we take the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan, we will end up on the menu, is what these 10 spies gave in their evil report. Uh, there is no way, God can't make a way, so what are, we, what are we even doing thinking about obeying God and going up into the promised land? So what, why are, why are giants filling the land that's promised to God's chosen people. Well, Satan has an objective of corrupting the seed of the woman. Whenever the, whenever the prophetic focus zooms in on David now and on his line, you see the attack against David's line. And that culminates all the way up to a final all-out assault in taking out God's chosen people, Haman in Esther chapter three, has the bright idea that he will completely wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Haman in your Bible is a perfect type of, he pictures perfectly the person of the Antichrist, right. He wants to destroy God's chosen people and, and, and what's the goal, what's the objective of that? Well, somewhere out of that line, out of Eve, through that line, it'll, it'll come down to a, a Messiah, God's anointed one the prophesied one, and, and he's a soul, he's, he's a soul, he's a skull crusher. He's a skull crusher. I mean, you know, Satan is looking out for himself. So then you get to the New Testament. Look at Satan's attack against the promised seed in the New Testament. What happens when the skull crusher finally does show up? Well, you know, Joseph's full of fear. You read about that in Matthew chapter one. He wants to undo what God's doing, and, and, then, and then when the baby's born, Herod, he absolutely tries to take him out. Christ is but a babe, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's, he's in that baby to toddler range, Herod knows that, so he decides to wipe out, he's no different than Pharaoh, he's gonna wipe out all the male children. Matthew two sixteen. then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, they did not come back and tell him where they found the babe. 
he got mad, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise man. What, you know, what are all of the distinguishing characteristics of this baby that I must kill? Herod, King Herod, is a perfect type of, he's Antichrist, right. But Satan, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with manipulating kings. He's, he's the prince of the power of the air. Right? He, he, he can work through religious leaders just like he did at Nazareth in Luke chapter four. They sought to destroy him at the announcement of his earthly ministry. But you read about two, torm, two, storm, two, torms, two storms at sea that are designed to take Jesus out, Mark four, Luke eight. But ultimately, he thought he, had, he, you know, he thought he had achieved his goal at the cross of Calvary. Um, both Jew and Gentile were convinced, they were persuaded. I mean, for the Jews, just a few days earlier, they're, they're singing Hosanna. They're calling him the son of David. This is, a, this is a kingly title, it's a messianic title, the son of David, and, and they're saying they've ID'd, they've identified their Messiah, and now just a few days later, I mean, the week's not even out yet, and they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. His blood be upon us and upon our children. What's happening here? Uh, Satan's trying to take out the seed of the woman. Uh, the problem was he was God become man. He was God with skin on, and, and uh, he, he, this was, you know, nobody does judo better than Jesus. And, uh, and so the whole thing was part of God's plan to see the, the sin of humanity that Satan's always been working, hating on, working to destroy, working to corrupt, and so the sins of humanity are reckoned in the person of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and what you get to do, what I get to do now, is call on Christ as our sin bearer, right? He's my sin bearer, he's my redeemer. The sin that separated me from God he nailed it to his tree, and when Jesus died that day 2,000 years ago, I in my sin died that day 2,000 years ago. Romans 6 says, I am crucified with Christ, I am buried with Christ, I am risen with Christ. Those who call on the name of the Lord, if you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you know that when you call out in repentance over sin, when you call out for God in his mercy and his forgiveness to, to take your life, Forgive my sin, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and life and save me. He does it. Jesus hears up from the grave he arose, right? And he rose in triumph or his foes. And so sin, death, the grave, the hold of Satan himself over humanity, all of that's broken. Jesus is a judo master. I don't know how else to put it. Okay, the big picture of everything that we're talking about, you get a summary overview in Revelation chapter 12. Here it is, everything that's, everything, since Genesis chapter three, everything that's taking place, you see it right here in Revelation chapter 12. There appeared a great, great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child, cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, behold a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven 
and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into, a, into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1,203 score days. She's gonna need supernatural provision from God for over three years. Okay, what is this? Well, this is, this is the story since Genesis chapter three. That great woman, that great wonder rather, this woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, upon her head a crown of 12 stars. This is God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. Uh, God, I mean, she is God's chosen people. Uh, the Gentile world, right? I mean, she is separate from them. Twelve stars, twelve stars. What do we talk? Twelve tribes, and she is the one that's going to produce the prophecy of Genesis three fifteen. And through travail, Jesus came. Jesus was delivered. Now Satan's waiting to devour him as soon as he's born, and that's exactly what you see taking place with King Herod. Uh, he doesn't get it done at birth. He gets it done. Uh, when Jesus is a full-grown man, his earthly ministry is finished, but his goal is to destroy Jesus. He does not accomplish it. Christ was, yes, he was crucified. He died, he was buried, but on the third day he arose. After 40 days of giving final instructions to the church, he was caught up to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. So what you have now um, between verses five and six is that gap where the church age, you can plug 2,000 years of church age history between Romans, or Revelation rather, Revelation 12, five and six. After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist, he will be revealed, he will, he will defile the temple. Uh, there'll be a, the, the, basically in a nutshell, the way it works is verse five, Re, Revelation 12, five ends, the church age, roughly 2,000 years of church age history unfolds. We're raptured out. What will then take place is a seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel, with the world, with the surrounding nations. In the middle of that peace treaty, he will break it, and he will full court press to destroy God's people. He wants to destroy the woman that produced the promised seed. And um, this is why Jesus said, when you see the Antichrist desecrate the temple, it's called the abomination of desolation. When you see that take place, that Daniel said would happen in the middle of that seven-year peace treaty, run. <laughs> don't pack, don't do anything, run. And, and what they have to do is head to the Judean mountains, the Judean wilderness, where God will supernaturally pr provide and protect and take care of them during the time of great tribulation. So all of this, everything that we're seeing in terms of Bible history, Bible prophecy, it's this battle over the seed of the woman. And guess what? Here we are in the church age, at the end of the time of the age of grace, and you and I, we gotta be wise and we gotta recognize that Satan never gets tired, he never quits attacking the seed. Wherever God has seed, he wants to corrupt and destroy it. You know, today, because it's the seed of God's word that transforms the lives of people and translate them, it translates them from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of Christ. Satan attacked the living word. Well, guess what? He's also after, he's also attacking the preserved word. So get this down in your notes. Satan consistently attacks the seed of God's word as well. So word of God is your next blank. Uh, The Bible makes sure that you can't miss this. Luke chapter eight, verse 11 says the seed, you wanna understand the parable of the sower and the seed? He sows the seed and there's varying results in terms of the sown seed. But you need to know this, the seed is the word of God in that parable. That's what the seed illustrates. How does the word of God, sown into the lives of people, how does it bear fruit? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you received the word of God, the seed of the word of God, and the Bible says you're, you're born again. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So what's at stake? Well, even Satan knows that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if he can undermine the word of God in your life, that's all he has to do. Because if he can get you to the place where you think I can't trust this Bible, I can't trust this book, I don't know that it's the certainty of the words of truth, that it's the very words of God. Well, you know the Bible was written by sinful men and, and it was sinful and, and, and failed men who had the responsibility to preserve and transmit it and so how can we know it's the very words of God and, and so what's happening? Satan is always at work to twist the word of God to undermine its authority in the lives of people. Because if I can't believe every word, then can I really trust every word of John 3.16? If the Bible is in error across the board, but I've got a few verses that I want to be infallible and authoritative over my life because I don't, have, I don't wanna have to worry about whether or not I'm going to heaven. Do you see the problem? Do you see the fallacy? It's, either all true, or how can you know if any of it is true? And so Satan, through textual criticism, through attacks on the word of God, is seeking to undermine the seed of the word, the authority of God's word in the lives of people. That's exactly what he did back in Genesis chapter three. You can keep a, you don't even have to keep a finger in Genesis chapter six, you can just turn a couple pages. And and in Genesis chapter three, the first attack, you remember what we saw? It was on the authority, the accuracy of God's word. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. I heard God was holding out on you. There's a lot of these wonderful trees that aren't on the menu. Uh, Did God say that? I mean, can we we really know what God said? And, And can we be sure about the veracity, the accuracy of what he said? And the woman ends up in his dissimulation, right? Oh yeah, no, 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 we can eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But that fruit that's in the midst of the garden, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, God said, ye shall not eat of it. God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And so she's adding to the word of God. If they're gonna tend the garden, they have to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only thing that's prohibitive in terms of God, they got a two-passage Bible in Genesis chapter three. She got one directly, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, right? I mean, she heard that. And then her husband had to have told her the other part because we get the commentary on day six in Genesis chapter two. And and God God put Adam in the garden. God told Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
why he's a good, good father. He's not willing that Adam would perish. And so he tells him, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Don't every, all of it's for you. Don't eat the fruit of this one tree. Is God stingy? No, he's generous, isn't he? Oh, he, we can't even touch it or we'll die. And then Satan, right? He just lies on the word of God. You shall not surely die. God is holding out on you. He knows you'll be his gods knowing good and evil. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. He is absolutely unfair. He is holding out on you. So she saw it was good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Man, nothing has changed. That's exactly the attack on the word of God today. You know, you can't be sure what God said. You can't know that you have the certainty of the words of truth. You don't know that the word of God is accurate. You have to decide. Are you gonna take the position that God's word is exactly what it represents itself to be, the very words of God to man? Do you have the certainty of the words of truth or not? You gotta decide. Do you believe in biblical, the biblical doctrine of God's preservation of his word? Or do you believe in textual evolution? Because that's exactly what the modern Bible scholar says. We don't have the certainty of the words of truth. In the, in the first century of the church age, it was corrupted through error, through omission, through Bible changers. The word of God was corrupted in the first century and it was lost and, and we started getting back on track in the 1600s. But man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, uh, our Bible, we have to evolve it. We're always searching for new, new insights. We're always finding manuscripts that we didn't take into consideration before. And all of these things, all these data points are informing on what the biblical text should really be. And as we get smarter and as we get sharper, we don't have to rely on what was handed down to us throughout the church age. We're gonna evolve a better Bible. What's, what's happening? Under the name of textual criticism, under the name of biblical scholarship, what's happening? Uh, We're standing in the place of God, as God, showing ourselves we know the word of God better than God does himself. Do you get, do you see the constant repetition of this pattern? You gotta decide, did God preserve his word for you or not? Do you have the certainty of the words of truth or do you have an evolving Bible? If you have an, evo- if you have an evolving Bible, you do not have the certainty of the words of truth. And if you can't trust every passage, how do you know you can trust John 3.16? And that is Satan's objective. This is why you'll never hear me stand in this pulpit and say, you know, Genesis chapter six, verse four, I, I like it in the King James, but the ESV really captures the original intent of the author. And so, and then I read to you from the ESV in verse four, and then I say, okay, but now here in verse six, I like the way, I think it's, I think it's the living, right? It's the living word, it's the, it's the message, it's whatever, you know, I just pick a translation. I think that really is the most accurate way to say this, and, and so now I'm picking and choosing from different Bibles, and I'm stitching uh, some Frankenstein scripture together for you, and at the end of all of it, it's not the Bible that's the authority, it's Pastor What's-His-Name with all of the information that I got that you don't have, and so you'll never know your Bible the way you need to, so you come to me for all the answers, and I'll tell you my best guess on what is and is not the Word of God. You see how this thing works? You gotta decide. Was something, did God keep his promises? Was something preserved? Was that handed down from generation to generation or are we going to evolve a better Bible? 
I was saying this to the Bible school students this last weekend. You cannot be a Bible believer and be an evolutionist. The Bible says what it says. Okay. Sorry, I got a little wound up there. Satan's attacking the word of God. That's exactly what's happening. (laughs) Verse three. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also, for that he also is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. So notice God is a God of mercy. Mercy is your next blank. But God's mercy has limits. He sets a time limit of 120 years. But notice in the limit where the mercy is active, right? It is, it is an active mercy. He says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Uh, God is not willing that any would perish. I don't wanna strive with man, so God's mercy is active. God's mercy is active in your life today. If we got what we deserved, oh my goodness, none of us would be here, would we? God's mercy, it is a real thing, it is active, but know this, you can, you can step on God's last nerve. It has limits, and at some point, he has to move in response and deal with the wickedness of sin. So that brings us to point number three, see the wickedness of men. What's the result of this union, the giants, right? There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that's a polite way of saying they had sexual intercourse, and they bare children unto them, and the same, the Bible says, became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. We know the renown of these, these Nephilim, these, these angelic human hybrids. Uh, what do we call them uh, in, in mythology? You'll hear them called halflings. Uh, they'll be called demigods, uh, that kind of thing. Okay, so the men of renown. Again, I keep, because I know it's popular in our, in our broad, um, you know, fictional, whatever it is, movies, books, whatever. Percy Jackson, uh, Hercules, these are the men of renown that we're talking about. God, verse five, saw the result, right? God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so his mercy had limits. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. So the wickedness of man is great. Not like great, like man, that's really great or outstanding. No, it's, it's, we're talking about it's a lot of wickedness <laughs> and it's all the time. So sin had reached a new depth and we have a description of how that process, that exact same process takes place during the time of the church age. So keep a finger here in Genesis six and turn to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. God's mercy has limits. Verse 18 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, so here's one of the reasons why I believe this book is the very word of God. Again, you'll never hear me excuse it away. Now, there are parts I'll readily admit I don't understand. I'm still growing, I'm still learning, but I'm not gonna correct it. Let God be true and every man a 
a liar, right? Uh, this book is the word of God. And in Romans chapter one, the Apostle Paul can describe the exact same logic chain that produced the world of Genesis chapter six that God had to judge with a flood. And we'll get down to some of the nitty gritty of why God's setting the reset button, uh, hopefully in our next message, all right? Um, but um, it, it's, it's re- remember in Genesis six, the thoughts and the imagination of his heart, man's heart, mankind's heart is only evil continually. Well, how did this happen? You remember when we looked at it, the case for angels mating with humans, we said, what else are we gonna do with our cross-references? And what did we see with the cross-references? Here you have angels who leave their first estate. They're not content with how God made them, with where God had placed them in the creative order. And so they leave their first estate. They go after strange flesh, right? It's improper sexual union. And so these angels are reserved in chains of darkness, waiting for judgment, uh, because they, got, they followed a logic chain that led them to ultimate perversion. Well, watch how this works today. The judgment of God is coming. Man is without excuse, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So what happened? Man knows what's right. He understands the only logical explanation for why we're here is the Genesis account, but he doesn't like it because Genesis is part of a greater message and he doesn't want to submit to the God of the Bible. That's gonna have negative implications for his sexual liberties, what he wants to do with his human sexuality, and so we gotta find another way. And so what he does, he gets PhDs, he gets degrees in, 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 this, in, in humanities studies so he can explain away scripture and be able to give license to man just doing what he wants to do in the, in the first place. Professing themselves to be wise, they foolishly say, there is no creator God. We are the product of natural selection, survival of the fittest, Right, we are, the, we are the process of evolution. We started out as dust and then slurry, microbes, somehow magically that turned into, that turned into uh, you know, that turned into processes and, and, and programming and, and machinery and all of that, that. And then now look at us today. We're on the verge of becoming Superman. We're gonna be at the place where we know everything, can do everything, we can do it forever, all without a creator God. Man professes himself to be wise, but becomes vain in his imagination. The whole goal isn't about submission to a creator, it's about getting it on in creation. So look at verse 24, wherefore? Because of that rebellion, because of the thoughts, the imagination of his heart, look what happens, God gave them up. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore, amen. And so because they did it, God gave them up to uncleanness and they didn't say, you know what? The way we're living is yuck, it's a mess. No, they doubled down. So verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. They don't even love what's right anymore. They love what's gross and debased and debauched. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
And, and in case you didn't know what the Bible was saying there, keep reading. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men, wor- men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error, their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. So up, up, and over. Do you see the pattern? God gave them up to uncleanness, and there was no repentance. So God gave them up to vile affections. Okay, do what you're gonna do, and see how that works out for you. And, and so they still, mankind does not like to retain God in his knowledge, and so God gave them over, up, up, over, to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. And look at what happens to society when we get to that point. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetous, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, uh, proud bo- uh, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And that's, how, that's what we're seeing in, 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 in the modern world today. Man's heart becoming only wicked continually. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, right? The days of Noah point to the condition of society prior to the second coming. Matthew 24, 37. But as it was in the days of Noah, Right, as the days of no, no were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Nothing changes today. We started out by saying we don't like to retain God in our knowledge and so a monkey is our, our uncle. And then that leads to a sexual revolution that leads to complete corruption of the society. And now today it's like I'm a trans, pan, non-binary, lesbian furry with six pronouns and you better get those right. Which basically means I'm saying I, I just wanna do whatever I, I, w- I want to do anything and everything except what I was made for. The, ev- the, <laughs> the vain imagination of man's heart becomes only evil continually. And that's what Genesis 6 says in the earth. Every imagination, what's going on? The thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So this implies that sin has taken root in society. It's totally corrupted. And that same Deep-rooted condition exists in the world that we have today. We live in a world that lies in darkness. This is why it's so critical that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because there are still gonna be souls that see the light of the gospel, the word of God. They'll hear it as the very word of God and it'll rock them to their soul. We gotta keep shining the light. All of this proves what, what Jeremiah said in chapter 17, verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? But it all shows, so, shows. I mean, God, God is the, the author and the source of creation. We have a responsibility to him, okay? The, 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 the fact that the wickedness is so great that sin has taken root in the society, God's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep striving for another 120 years. That just shows the extent of God's patience. Look at 2 Peter chapter three. This world is heading for judgment, and it's rightly so, and people wanna say, well, you know, people have been talking about judgment for a long time, and it never comes. Why should today be any different? 
And here's the warning, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is willing to strive with us. He wants us to quit our excuses and our reasons for why we won't submit our lives to Christ. He is a patient and he's a loving God. But the judgment will come, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Corrupted, a corrupted creation will be destroyed. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, why don't we repent? Why don't we submit our lives to Christ? What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, in your, the way you live and in godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein this judgment will come? So this shows the critical importance of what it, I mean, for you and I, God is worth being right with. We need to submit our lives to him. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that we've got a battle. There's a battle in the flesh, but we don't war. Watch this now. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshly, they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what do we do? The course of this world is inviting us to have the thoughts, the intents, the imagination of our hearts to be only evil continually. So your mind is gonna be assaulted by wickedness every day in this world. We're like Lot. Uh, Your righteous soul is vexed in the world that you live in. If you say, no, I'm fine, well then you're either pretty, uh, like your head's down in your Bible all the time. Just don't get run over. Look both ways before crossing the street. But, but, but I mean, it's everywhere, the, the bombardment to have the imaginations of your heart to be only evil continually. So crazy thoughts are gonna come into your heart and your mind, and, and here's what you do. You cast down that trash, right? Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You're gonna think cray-cray. You're gonna think wicked. You're gonna think perverted. You're gonna, you're gonna have these thoughts because that's the world that you live in. As it was in the days of Noah, that's exactly what it's gonna be in the days before Christ comes. There's going to be systemic, right? Comprehensive perversion, corruption. The vile wickedness of sin will completely take root and be pervasive. It's gonna be throughout all of society. So when the, when the wrong thinking comes, right, we cast down anything that's not in agreement with the word of Christ. What the knowledge of Christ says, that's what I'm gonna agree with. That's what I'm gonna go with. And so I'm thinking cray cray, well no, that's not what my Bible says. And so every time that comes up, I'm gonna say no. Instead, I'm gonna think the truth of God's word. That's what Jesus did when Satan came after him in Matthew 4. What did Jesus say? Satan's got some crazy idea, some crazy point of corruption that he's trying to get to take root in Jesus' heart and mind, and Jesus said, it is written. Bring it into captivity, and then keep going, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Man, repentance over sin is critical. So you say, well, I've been really making a mess of my life. Okay, well, stop. 
and start moving forward in faith. Well, what happens if I mess up again? Stop and start moving forward in faith. Well, what happens if I mess up again? Stop and then start moving forward in faith. Guess what I'm gonna say next? What's your question? Any question? What happens if I mess up again? Stop and then start moving forward in faith. What does the Bible say? Uh, Lord help us, okay, so let me give you, can I give you four more points in five minutes? Yeah, that's what I knew. Yeah. I don't know, Pastor, can you? <laughs> can you? Okay, smart Alec. It's 10.20. Mitch's mouth is on the line. Point number four, we see a repentant God. You know, God can repent and still be just, can he? Repented in Genesis 6.6 simply means to be penitent, ease through sorrow, and this doesn't contradict what Numbers 23 says, right? The context of Numbers 23, it doesn't flip that over. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Uh, Whenever we get down to the end of it, we're gonna find out that man keeps existing. The problem is all of man, except one family we find out, is corrupted through sin. So God doesn't change his nature, his character. Hebrews 13, eight, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. James chapter one, verse 17 says of God, right? He's the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, right? He's not flighty, he doesn't change his agenda day to day. In Malachi chapter three and verse six, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. That's why you're still breathing, sons of Jacob, <laughs> right? See, he can and he does change his mind on issues that have not been committed to scripture. And, and, and when you find that happening, it's connected to his merciful nature and holding back judgment. Uh, according to my word, what I should do is destroy you right now, but I'm merciful, I'm not, I'm not willing that any would perish and so I'm making a way, I'm making a way of escape. Psalms 106 verse 45 says, and he remembered them for his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. You know, in Romans chapter one, the, the slide into sin is just so bad and it just keeps giving, getting worse and getting worse and God just keeps giving them over and he gives them over and he gives them up. What is that? That's the mercy of God. Repent while it's called today. <laughs> so what we have is a repentant God, but more than that, number five, we have a grieved God. God has emotions just like you and I. We were made in his likeness and his image. He's not a machine. You can grieve him. You can break his heart or you can make him glad. Let's not grieve him. Ephesians 4.30 says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. So get this down in your notes. What God's doing here is he's gonna destroy the earth with a flood. That's what we're gonna see in, in chapters seven and eight. And so don't miss this. God is a decisive God. He does make history-changing decisions, and he's got no trouble making the hard ones, but they're always right and just. Genesis 18, 25 says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And then lastly, and in your face, was, oh, I said Mitch, it was Shane. I heard Shane say, can you? Okay, Shane, uh, 10.23, point number four. God is a God of grace. Look at this. 
It repents God in his heart that he's made man, but here's Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Why does Noah, why is he enjoying God's grace? Well, Noah has a walk and a relationship with God. God, God makes sure now to make a way for him and for his family. And so can we just do this? I don't want anybody getting up and leaving. I don't want anybody hauling out of here. I want us to check ourselves before the Lord. You know that God's made a way for you. If you don't personally know God, that way is the cross of Calvary. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God's made a way of escape, right? The problem of our sin is the wages, the penalty. God's righteous judgment over it is death. And death, outside of Calvary, that's final. The wages of sin is death. In in Revelation chapter 20, death and hell are cast into a lake of fire for eternity. But God's not willing that any would perish in his mercy and his grace. God the Father sends God the Son who ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that none of us could live. He's qualified as the Lamb of God to take our sin upon himself and to suffer God's wrath at Calvary. Man, that's love. God made a way. When Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross of Calvary, said, it is finished, God's wrath over our sin was satisfied at that moment. It's done. The question is, will you get on the ark? So already you already know what the ark is gonna picture, right? It's a way of salvation, isn't it? It's, it's a way that life can move forward in God. So get on the ark, right? Kneel at the cross of Calvary. Let Christ be your, be your sin bearer. Let him be your savior. Let him be the the forgiver of your sin. Let him make you a new creature in Christ. Let him give you a new birth, a new family. God loves you. God so loved the world, he's not willing that you perish. He gave you Jesus so that you could have everlasting life. That's what God did. I believe that with all my heart. I received that when I was 12. It took me a while to work out the depths. Of, I, well, I still haven't. I'm still working. I'm still working out the wonders, the depths of the salvation that God gave me. God's made a way for you. You're a parent. You're raising children, and you're looking at how it's just giving up <laughs> to vile affection, giving over uh, to a reprobate mind. I mean, the world calls good evil evil. Jesus said there would be days like this. Don't be foolish. The way you got saved, that's the way, mom, dad, that's the way we're gonna live, okay? By God's grace through faith. I'd rather be with the Lord, I'd rather be with God's word, and have a lost world that's condemned in sin be upset with me, than to excuse that, and to promote that, and go along with that, and have my creator be grieved over me. Does this make sense? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will. To know, um, you know, it's, I, I'm just so impressed with the apostles. You know, they're full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and everybody, everybody, everything was against them in terms of the power of human government. Do not preach in the name of Jesus. And their response is, you know, because they, they can say it immediately because they've already worked it out in their heart. You do what you think you gotta do, but we're gonna do what the king told us to do and we're gonna preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God used them to turn their world upside down for his glory. 
at some point, you know, I have, to, I have to remind my kids of this, at some point, you know, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men, okay? Um, don't be someone, because you have the truth, you're a jerk to people who are lost. They're blind, okay? They can't see truth. Uh, be, have, a, have a first coming, have a first advent mentality. You're not at war with these people, okay? Um, be full of love for them. Be willing that they would not perish, okay? Um, you know, it, it, it gets gritty and, and gory at the second advent. We're not there yet, okay? Have a first advent mentality. Um, so you've got the truth. Your, your goal isn't to go to war with people and beat them up with the truth. Uh, the goal is in meekness and in humility, instruct those that oppose themselves so that they can, rec- so they, so they can call on Jesus, right? Recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Um, but at some point, you have to come to the place where you'll say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I gotta obey my king. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And 10,000 years from now, I don't wanna be full of regret that I was more worried about what a lost man thought than my savior. At some point, you have to just decide, I'm okay with people despising me because I love Jesus and I read his word. (laughs) At some point, you have to say, I know people are gonna hate me because I'm telling the truth. Just speak it in love. Jesus sees it. The king is coming, his reward is in his hand. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Can we bow and uh, submit ourselves to the Lord right now?